There's a story about a rabbi and a priest who go to a party. And so the priest sits down next to the rabbi and he says, you know, rabbi, you got to try some of this ham. I, listen, I know it's against your rules. I know it's against your religion. But this, this is not ordinary ham. This is Virginia honey baked ham. It's really, really good. And the rabbi goes, would you just stop it? I am never going to eat ham. And, uh, you know, the priest doesn't want to give up. And so he says, listen, when are you just going to, you know, loosen up and live a little bit? And the rabbi says, okay, okay. I'll tell you when I'll eat ham. The priest says, when? The rabbi says, at your wedding. <laughs> you know, most people, when they think about the word religion, they think about rules. You know, there are things you have to do, things you can't do. I read this week a description of Christianity, two words that arrested my attention. And here's what I read. Christianity is a love affair. Now think about that. That's a pretty powerful and dramatic statement, isn't it? What is Christianity? Christianity really is a love affair between God and his people. Look at this verse from the New Testament. It says this, Long before he laid down earth's foundations, he had us in mind. God was thinking of us and settled on us as a focus of his love. And notice this phrase, to be made whole and holy by his love. That is such an encouraging word from, from God to us because we live in a world that is broken. We have dreams that are broken, bodies that are broken, hearts that are broken. It says that God's love makes us whole. That's an amazing thought. But it shouldn't surprise us because the very essence of Christianity is a love affair between God and his people. Now, today we're going to do this. We're going to wrap up this series on worship. But I want to do this. I want to go back and pick up some ideas that we've talked about in the last few weeks. So I want to begin with this. What is worship? Well, worship is expressing our love to God. Expressing our love to God. One of my favorite movies is Forrest Gump. And there are all kinds of themes in Forrest Gump. How many of you are familiar with Forrest Gump? I've seen it a gazillion times. And so the thing that really holds the movie together is this relationship between Forrest and his childhood sweetheart. And what's her name? Jenny. Jenny. That's right. He names his boat after, after Jenny. And, and here's the thing. You, you see that as a little boy, Forrest falls head over heels in love with Jenny. And as he grows up, whether he's you know, playing football or fighting in Vietnam or being the captain of a shrimp boat, his heart and his mind are devoted to Jenny. Now, what is it that Forrest wants more than anything else in the whole wide world? He wants Jenny to what? To love him. Now, why does he want Jenny to love him? Because he loves her. Now, think about this. Why is it that God wants you to love him? Because he loves you. The Bible says that we love because God first loved us. So Christianity really is a love affair between God and his people. And if you were to describe how Forrest feels about Jenny, you might say this, he worships her. What does that tell us? That the heart of worship is expressing love to another person. And that's what it means to worship God. But here's the reality. When it comes to expressing love, we've had all kinds of different experiences. Some of you find it easy to say, I love you. Um, some of you are challenged when it comes to expressing that kind of love. It's like the story about this little girl, and she's playing with her little friend Tommy. And she says, Tommy, you want to play house? Tommy goes, well, yeah, what do you want me to do? And the little girl says, well, I want you to um, communicate your feelings. And little Tommy goes, well, I have no idea what that means. And the little girl says, great, you can be the husband. 
For some of us, communicating our feelings can be challenging. And you know, we all grew up in different kinds of homes. Some of you grew up in a home where it was just the most natural thing in the world to say, I love you, and to give people in your family a hug. But some of us didn't grow up in homes like that. Some of you guys grew up hearing this, big boys don't. Absolutely, throw a little dirt on it, Johnny. What are you crying about? So that has shaped us, and you know, others of us have had the experience of having our, our heart crushed. And so we made a promise, I am never going to let that happen again. I'm going to lock my heart away. And friends, here's the reality. The things that you've experienced with other people affect your relationship with God. And so we need to understand that, that Christianity is a love affair, that there is a God who really loves you like nobody else. And, and in the Bible, God reveals his heart to us. Look at this verse. It's in the Old Testament, the book of Hosea. God speaking to his people, and he says, I don't want your sacrifice. I want your love. I don't want your offerings. I want you to know me. And you can hear the cry of God's heart. He really loves his people. And he wants his people to know him and to love him. So here's the question. How can we express our love to God? And I want to just do a review, some practical ways that we can do that. And here's the first. We express our love to God by obeying him. Obeying him. This is what Jesus said. He said, if you love me, you will talk about what I command. What did he say? Church, you will do what? Yeah, O-B-E-Y. You will obey what I command. And, and there are just a couple of stories about obedience. One is from the Old Testament, story of Noah. I mean, what a great story of obedience. In fact, look at this verse. It says this. By faith, Noah built a ship where? In the middle of dry land. He was warned about something he couldn't see and acted on what he was told. Now, I suspect that many, many people have heard the story of Noah and the ark. But I mean, think about what it was like for Noah. You know, God comes to him and says, no, look, the, and this is just a paraphrase, the world's a mess. I mean, people are recklessly self-centered and violent, and so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to wipe out everybody but you and your family and some animals. Now, Noah, here's the deal. I want you to build a zoo, a three-story floating zoo. I'll give you the blueprints, but I want you to build a ship and get the animals on it and take care of them. Now, think about what it was like for Noah to really hear God say this. I mean, do you think that he would have had some questions or some objections? I mean, it would be natural. When, when God said, I'm going to send a flood, it's going to rain for 40 days and 40 nights, Noah had never seen rain before. And not only that, he lived hundreds of miles from the nearest ocean. He was literally building this giant ship on dry land. And not only that, how's he going to round up all these animals and, and get enough food to take care of them? But Noah doesn't hesitate. He simply obeys. It says here he acted on what he was told. And how did God react to that? Well, God was pleased. Because when we trust God, when we obey God, it shows that we love God. And there's another example of this. It's in Luke chapter 5. This is one of my favorite stories in the Bible. It's about a time that Jesus is preaching, and he's preaching from Peter's boat. And so the boat's, you know, close to the shore, and, and Jesus finishes preaching, and then he says to Peter, Hey, Peter, let's go fishing! I want you to, you know, launch out into the deep water and, and let down your net. Now, again, this is just a paraphrase of what, what Peter says. I mean, he, he says, well, you know, Jesus, we've been fishing all night long, and we haven't caught a single stinking thing. And you can imagine what's going through Peter's mind. Jesus, you're a great preacher, but I'm not sure you know about fishing. I mean, I'm a professional fisherman, and this is not the time of day that you go fishing. The fish will not bite. <laughs> there will be no fish to catch in the net. 
But here's what happens. Peter looks at Jesus, and he makes this very dramatic and life-changing statement. He says, Lord, because you say so, I will. I will launch out into the deep water. I will let down the nets. And what happens when he does that? Well, some of you know the story. That net begins to fill up with so many fish, it starts to break. The boat begins to sink. Another boat comes alongside. Both the boats begin to sink. And Peter begins to realize what's going on. And he falls to his knees and he says, Jesus, depart from me for I am a sinful man. He recognizes that he's in the presence of God. And what does Jesus do? He reaches down and he, he grabs Peter and says, Peter, look, from now on, I'm going to show you how to catch people. I'm going to make you a fisher of men and women and boys and girls. And what does Peter do? He leaves everything and follows Jesus. Now, now church, you may want to write this down. Six letters. B-Y-S-S-I-W. B-Y-S-S-I-W. This is the heart of Christianity. Jesus, because you say so, I will. That's the kind of relationship that Jesus wants us to have with him, where he tells us what to do. We say, okay, okay, I'll go do it. But here's the reality. So often we offer God partial obedience. We choose the commands that we want to obey, and we just kind of push off the other ones that are, you know, too difficult or unreasonable or unpopular. It's like this, you know, there's a young man who says, yeah, I'm going to be a Christian, okay, I'm going to follow Jesus. But when it comes to having sex with my girlfriend, well, you know, God, what you're telling me, you know, they've got to wait till marriage, that's just unreasonable. I mean, who's going to do that? Or the, the man who is, you know, a sales rep for a company, and he's got a big presentation on Monday, and he says, you know, Lord, I'm, I'm going to be a Christian, but listen, when it comes to this presentation, I can't afford to be completely honest because if I am going to lose a sale, I'll never advance my career. Or the woman who says, you know what, I'm going to go to that lady's Bible study, and, you know, I'll serve in the church but I can't forgive that person that hurt me. That's just too hard. Friends, God wants us to trust him and love him and obey him completely. Now look at this verse. This is from King David. He says this, Just tell me what to do and I'll do it, Lord. As long as I live, I'll obey you wholeheartedly. That's the kind of relationship that God wants us to have with him, to obey him wholeheartedly to say, hey, Jesus, I know this is hard. I know this is unpopular. I know this is unreasonable, but B-Y-S-S-I-W, because you say so, I will. Now, here's another way that we can express our love to God through constant conversation, constant conversation. Let me ask you this. What do couples who are in love talk about? The answer is, okay, each other. Um, and really, in a sense, they talk about everything, right? They want to share their lives with each other because that's what you do when you love somebody. Um, you know, I, I've heard um, people who work in restaurants say that they can often tell how long a couple's been married by how much they talk before their food arrives. <laughs> because here's the thing, if you want to rekindle the spark in your marriage, then start talking to each other about everything that you're going through. Share your lives with each other. And when it comes to our relationship with God, what does God want you to talk to him about? Just your problems? Every single thing that happens. Look at this verse. This is from the book of Psalms. It says, I love the Lord, for he heard my voice. He heard my cry for mercy. Because he turned his ear to me, I will call on him as long as I live. See, the thing is that you'll never have the kind of relationship that God wants to have with you if you just come to church on the weekend or even if you just have a quiet time. I mean, those are good things. 
But God wants to be involved in every area of your life. God doesn't want to be a, an appointment that you check off. Okay, I talked to God today. Um, God, I'll talk to you tomorrow. Okay, same place, same time. God wants to be involved in everything. And you can talk to God, whether you're working or cooking or driving. Of course, if you're talking to God when you're driving, keep your eyes open. It's always good to keep your eyes open when you're doing that. But here's the thing. Worship is not just an event on the weekend. It's a way of life. And years ago, years ago, there was a, a man who wrote a book, and it's an incredibly influential book. His name is Brother Lawrence. And he wrote this book called The Practice of the Presence of God. How many of you are familiar with that book? Um, he was a, a monk in a French monastery, and he lived this life of constant conversation. And whether he was, you know, preparing meals or washing dishes or whatever he was doing, he was talking to God about it throughout the day. And, and here's what happens. Sometimes we think, well, you know, if I'm going to talk to God, if I'm going to worship, I've got to get away. I've got to stop doing everything. And there's a time and place to do that. I mean, God says, be still and know that I'm God. That's a good thing. But in addition to that, you can talk to God all the time. And so in the ancient practice of Christians, they had something called breath prayers. And it was to stay connected with God. And the idea is that you can talk to God um, and say one sentence. You can say something that doesn't take you more than one breath. And it's a way to realize that, you know what? God is with me and, and God will keep his promises. In other words, you're just going through your day and you go, God, thank you that you love me. God, I know that you're... I know that you're with me. God, I'm depending on you. Those are breath prayers. And what the monks would do is when they lived in the monastery, the bell would ring, and that was a signal to do what? Stop and pray. Well, how many of you have alarms you can set on your watches, on your phones, on your computers? One of the things you can do is set alarms that remind you, hey, it's good to take a time out and pray so that you can have a constant conversation with God. Now, here's another way that we express love to God, by giving generously, by giving generously. Let me give you a very important principle about giving. It's simply this. You can give without loving, but you can't love without giving. Now think about that. Can you give without loving? Well, of course you can. You can be pressured into giving. You can be made to feel guilty if you don't give. So you give because you feel coerced to give. And I've experienced that in church myself, sitting where you are. But here's the reality. The kind of giving that pleases God comes from a heart of love. Because here's the reality. If you love somebody, the most natural thing in the world is to give to that person, to give your heart, to give your life, to give your abilities. Now, think about this. The most famous statement by Jesus is one that's found in the book of John. It's John 3, 16. These are the words of Jesus. For God so loved the world that he what? He gave. He gave his one and only son. God, because he loves us, gives to us. And he wants us to give to him because we love him. Because Christianity is what? It's a love affair. Now notice this verse. This is from 2 Corinthians. And it says this. And it was written by a man named Paul. We often call him the Apostle Paul. The Apostle is just a title. It means one sent on a mission by God. And he writes this to these believers who live in the city of Corinth. He says, but just as you excel in everything, in faith and speech and knowledge and complete earnestness, and notice this, in your love for us, See that you also excel in this grace of giving. And then Paul says this, I'm not commanding you. He's not coercing them. He's not pressuring them. I'm not commanding you, but here's the deal. I want to test the sincerity of your love because Paul knows this. When you love somebody, you can't help but give to that person. 
When you really love God, you can't help but give him your time and give him your ability and give him financial resources. That's just an expression of love. And Paul goes on to say this in the next chapter. He says, you must each make up your own mind as to how much you should give. Don't give reluctantly, and I love this, or in response to pressure. For God loves the person who does what? Who gives cheerfully. God wants us to give with joy and generosity because that's how we express our love to him, and that is an act of worship. Now, here's another thing that we can do to express love to God. We express love to God by using our abilities for him. And we talked about this, that in worship, we give God our attention. That's loving God with our mind. We give God our affection. That's loving God with our heart. And we give God our abilities. That's loving God with our strength. And notice this verse in Colossians. It says, whatever you do, I mean, that includes everything. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as though you were working for the Lord and not for people. So one of the ways that we express love to God is by using our abilities for him. Now, how many of you have any abilities? We all do, right? I mean, just think about this. What kinds of abilities are just represented in this room? An enormous number of abilities. That means some of you are good with your hands. You like to build things. Some of you can sing. Some of you can play an instrument. Some of you are good at teaching or leading or administration or computers. Some of you love math or science or law or medicine. There's all these incredible abilities. But where do they come from? Who gave you your abilities? Who, did you just... Get them yourself? No. God gave you your abilities. So what does God want you to do with your abilities? Use them to serve him and to serve people. And when you do, that is an act of worship. Exactly. Now here's the last thing that I want you to see this morning. It's number five. We express love to God through weekly worship with our church family. Weekly worship with our church family. Can you worship God anywhere? Yeah, absolutely. Because that's just expressing your love to God. But there is an enormous power when God's people come together to worship him. And think about this. This Sunday, people around the world are doing what we're doing right now. Believers are getting together in all kinds of places, in schools, um, in open fields, in churches, in business offices, and homes. They're getting together to worship God. Now, check this verse out. It's from Hebrews. It says this. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day, that's a reference to the return of Jesus, the big day, as you see the day approaching. Now, let me ask you a question. Have you ever thought this when you came to a, a church worship service? I didn't really get much out of worship today. Have you ever had that thought? I will be honest, I have. When, when I was, you know, learning about following Jesus, I would go to church and go, man, that just didn't do much, much for me today. And then I began to learn more and more about worship. Now, let me ask you this. Should we get anything out of worship? Absolutely we should. In fact, if you read Psalm 29, it says that when God meets with his people, he blesses his people with peace and with strength. Yeah, we get something out of coming together to worship God. But what is the primary thing we're supposed to do in worship? Is it to get? No, it's to give. It's to give God our hearts, to give God our praise, to give God our love. Because here's the thing. Worship, biblical worship, is not about seeking an emotional experience. It's about seeking the face of God. And church, this is so important. We talked about it. Who's the audience in worship? Not us. Who's the audience? 
God, there's an audience of one. So God calls us to pour out our hearts to him when we come to worship. And here's something that I think is so important. And it's this, that whenever you come to Boynton Beach Community Church, and I am here with the privilege of speaking to you, I want you to know this, that you will always hear and be able to respond to the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. Now, here's why I believe that that is so important. And this is the reason that the scripture says, hey, don't give up meeting together. You need to come together and worship God because you need to receive what God has for you. You need to give to God because he's the primary focus, but there's something that God wants to give you when you come to worship. And I believe it's primarily this, a reminder that the gospel is true. Now, why is that so important? Here's why. Now, track with me here. How many of you have any problems in your life? Okay? We all have problems. You know, the idea, all God's children's got problems. Yeah, we do. But here's what I want you to realize. The gospel is the ultimate solution to every problem you have. Now, think about that. It is true. And, and let me just show you in just a, a minute or two why I believe it's true. Well, first of all, there's the facts of the gospel. And we talk about it here all the time. There's the bad news. Okay, bad news. I'm a sinner. I came into this world um, with a heart that pulls me away from God, away from his purpose and plan. And this is true for me. It's true for every human being. But I know there are things that I've done that God says, hey, they're wrong. You don't love me. You don't love people like you should. And because of that, we're separated because I'm holy and you're not. And on top of that, Dudley, you deserve my punishment for all the sins you've committed. And that punishment is to be separated from me forever. And there's nothing you can do to change that. That's bad. That's really bad. But there's this good news that, that overtakes the bad news. And the good news is this. God really, really loves you. And I know that God really loves me. And I know that because he sent his son to die for me. Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, becomes a human being. And he does what I could never do. He lives a perfect life. And then he allows himself to be arrested and beaten and crucified. And on the cross... God's willing to put our sin on Jesus, punish him in our place, and then to prove that God the Father accepts the payment of his son, Jesus comes back to life and invites us to a completely new life by following him. And we do that by saying, hey, Jesus, I get it. I'm a sinner. I need a savior. I believe you died for my sins, and I want to follow you. Now, those are the facts of the gospel, but there's also this. There is the story of the gospel because the gospel's not just a set of ideas. It's a story that God is writing, and it's not finished. Last night, it was about 9 o'clock, my son John um, called me up and said, Hey, Dad, um, we lost power in our home. Can we come and hang out with you for a little while? And so John came with his wife, Sarah, and their four-week-old baby, Nora Kate. And this is about 9 o'clock last night. And I'm sitting there, and I'm just so happy to be hanging out with them. And I'm looking at my, my new granddaughter, and Chris is holding her. And I was thinking, you know, Nora Kate, you were just born into a story that started long before you arrived on the scene. And my prayer is that you will understand not just the story, but the story writer. That you'll understand the story that God is writing and you'll find your, your place in that story. And see, that's true for every single one of us. When you were born, you were born into a story that was already taking place. It's like this. Ever go to a movie late and you're trying to figure out what is going on? You don't know who these people are. You don't know the plot line. God has given us the plot line for the story he's writing. Where is it? It's right here. And see, there are chapters. There's chapter one. There's Genesis. There's creation where God creates people and plants and animals in the universe and everything is good. 
But then you have chapter 2 where Adam and Eve disobey God and they fall from God's grace and there's chaos and confusion and suffering and nothing is the way it's supposed to be. And then you move into chapter 3. Hey, Jesus is here. Jesus arrives on the scene and he redeems God's people, but the story's not over yet because there's another chapter to come. That chapter is restoration. That's the future when God is going to physically be with his people and it says in the book of Revelation, this is the last book of the Bible, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. That's you and me. And that's coming and see, that's the gospel, and that's what gives us hope. And church, every time we get together, we need to hear that hope. We need to hear that the gospel is true, because life is hard. And I think about this, that, that every day we get up, when you're a Christian, every day that you get up, realize this, you get the chance to work with God to make things the way they're supposed to be. What an incredible privilege, but here's the thing. God is at work in you, making you the way you're supposed to be. So you can put on your what? What are these gospel glasses and see yourself as God sees you? Because when you look at yourself, you realize, you know what? I have a new record. I have failed miserably, but I'm forgiven. I'm forgiven. And somebody asked me this, and I shared this first service. I think it's such a good question. They said, well, Pastor Dilley, I've heard you say that, you know, when you're a Christian, you get a new record, and you don't have to live with guilt or shame or regret. But I've made some really bad choices, and those choices have consequences. And God didn't take away the consequences. So what does that have to do with the gospel? And my answer is this. It's a gospel of grace. Because God will give you grace for those circumstances because he'll walk with you through those circumstances. Yes, you're forgiven, but yes, you have to deal with the consequences. But here's, here's the thing. You don't deal with them alone. You're God's child. You're God's son. You're God's daughter. And he loves you. Because you don't just have a new record. You have a new identity. And church, this is what's so important for us. We have a collective identity. We are the people of God. And you've heard me say this so many times. The local church is the hope of the... It's the hope of the world. I want you to do this. Just kind of look around the room right now. Do you see who you're sitting next to and, and with? You're the hope of the world, church. Seriously. And here's why you're the hope of the world. Because Jesus Christ lives in you by his Holy Spirit. You have a new record, a new identity, and you have a new potential not just as an individual, but collectively, we can do more than we could ever ask or imagine because of God's mighty power that works in us. And, and here's what I pray will always be the case, that the gospel will be the center of the ministry of Boynton Beach Church, that it will be our DNA, because I believe that should be the DNA of every church, because we live out of the center of the gospel. And I want to do one more thing as we wrap up this series on worship. I want to address a question that somebody asked me on the way out a couple of weeks ago. And I said, you know what? It's a good question. I will address it before we wrap up the series. And the question is this. A person said, when I come to church on Sunday morning, you know, some weeks I'm, I'm doing pretty, pretty good, you know? But other weeks, man, my life's a mess. How am I supposed to worship God when my heart's broken? That's a good question, isn't it? Because you think about it, I mean, you know, there are times when things are going pretty well. You know, if you're married, marriage is doing well, the kids are okay, there's money in the bank, you got a job. <laughs> and other times a bottom falls out and pain pours into your life. As someone said to me, Pastor Dudley, I appreciate that you always are saying, hey, keep your heads up and your eyes on Jesus, but how do I keep my eyes on Jesus when my eyes are full of tears? There was a, a Christian centuries ago. He 
His name is St. John of the Cross, and he talked about the dark night of the soul. And it was a description of these times that, that trouble comes into our lives and God seems a million miles away and we pray and we read the Bible and we try to believe, but God seems nowhere to be found. What's going on? Well, the Bible tells us that sometimes God intentionally hides his face from us. Now, why would God do that? To deepen our friendship, to mature our faith, to test our faith. To, to see if we'll really trust him and believe him and obey him even when we don't feel his presence or see him at work. And this is nothing new. There's a, a man in the Old Testament, his name is Job. And many of you are familiar with his story. There's a time that God is testing Job and he allows all this trouble to pour into Job's life. He loses his, his kids. Can you imagine the, the sorrow and the tragedy of that? He loses his possessions. He loses his health. And this is what Job says about his experience with God. And this is so important for us. He says, but if I go to the east, he's not there. If I go to the west, I don't find him. When he's at work in the north, I don't see him. When he turns to the south, I catch no glimpse of him. Job is saying, God, where are you? God is a million miles away, it seems. But, he continues, he knows the way I take. God knows the way I take. And when he has tested me, I will come forth as gold. So what do you do when life is hard? I believe that some of the most authentic and encouraging times of worship that I've ever experienced have been during the hardest times of my life. And so I would encourage you to do this. Keep talking to God. Whatever is going on in your life, keep praying. Keep talking to God. Because here's the reality. Just praying is an act of faith because you're saying, God, look, even if you don't answer me today or tomorrow or next week, I'm going to believe that you're hearing me. And I'm going to believe that in your way and in your time, you're going to come through. Because here's what we need to do. We need to keep trusting the promises of God. Because sometimes, you know, our reality starts to be defined by how we feel. Let the scripture define your reality because the promises of God are true. There's a guy named Ray Edmond, and he said this. It's a great quote. He says, Never doubt in the dark what God has told you in the light. Never doubt in the dark what God has told you in the light. And church, here's one final thing. Always remember this. If God never does another thing for you, if God never does another thing for me, he is worthy of our praise and worthy of our worship because he sent Jesus Christ to die so that we could live. So listen, when life is hard, do this. Look at the cross and remember what Jesus has done for you. Look around and see that God is at work and look up and worship the one who loves you so much that he would rather die than live without you. Let's pray. God, what an incredible love you have for us. And God, I just, I, Lord, I'm speechless, really, when I think about all that you've done and all that you promised to do. And and Lord, I pray that we would respond to that kind of love. God, I thank you that, that even in these last few weeks, I've seen some, some changes in the worship here because God, we're learning what, what kind of worship pleases you. We're learning, God, how to express our love and I pray that will continue and grow. And God, I pray this morning that if someone is here and they've never made that decision to trust Jesus, well, they've heard the gospel and now is an opportunity, Lord, to respond to that gospel an opportunity to, to come to you. And Lord, if somebody this morning wants to do that, I just pray that they would say this in their heart to you. 
I need you. God, I need you. I need Jesus. I'm a sinner. I know that. I'm sorry for my sin. I believe Jesus died to pay for my sin and came back to life. And I want to follow him. And God, you always, you always honor that prayer. You always run to meet us because you love us. And Lord, this is my prayer for Boynton Beach Community Church, that we will always be centered on the gospel of Jesus Christ. That we will always look at our lives with our gospel glasses on and live with incredible thanksgiving, realizing that you're at work around us and in us and through us. And Lord, I pray this so very much, that as we bring this worship service to a conclusion, God, as we sing this last song, would you do this? Would you manifest your grace and your glory and your presence in a powerful way? Because, Lord, we're going to sing a song that's a declaration of our faith, that you are stronger. You are stronger than any problem, any pressure, any pain, any, any challenge in our lives, because the gospel is true. And so, God, as we sing this song, I pray that it will come from hearts that love you so very much, and that, God, this song right here, right now, this place, would bring joy to your heart. For we pray in the strong name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen.